today on CityCast Salt Lake. If you live in Salt Lake long enough, you'll notice that the real emblem of our city is not the red U or the jazz note. It's the brine shrimp, a teeny tiny little crustacean that lives in the Great Salt Lake. So why are we all gaga for brine shrimp? And what can they tell us about the future of the lake? Well, Jamie Butler, the co-founder of the Great Salt Lake Institute and a brine shrimp enthusiast, is here to enlighten. It's Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Jamie, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for being here. Hi there. Thanks for having me. You have spent basically your whole career at the Great Salt Lake. Is that right? It is. I took a little break and moved to a bioanalytical company for a little while, and Mm. That was a little bit weird, but I got back to the lake. Yeah. How has Salt Lake's relationship with the lake changed over the course of your time being, I feel like, the lake's biggest hype man? I, I've not just seen it, you know, over the past years. I grew up here. I grew up thinking Great Salt Lake was stinky and dead, and we didn't go out there because it was buggy. And we mm-hmm. saw it, you know, in 1986, hit the highest levels ever recorded, and kind of the opposite thing was happening. The shorelines were flooding, and industries were, and farmland was being impacted. And, mm. you know, we took steps then. We um, built pumps into the West Desert to try to reduce those lake levels. And, you know, we took care of us at high lake levels, and um, we still didn't have an appreciation for Great Salt Lake. We kind of, you know, it almost mm. swung the other way, like it's dangerous or it's going to... Yeah swallow us up. Um, (laughs) And over those past years from 1986 until 2022, we've hit the lowest lake levels ever recorded. The Mm -hmm. cool thing is, is I think we realized how dire it was in those really like last year and the year before really began to realize what an impact the disappearance of the lake would have on our culture and our economy and Mm -hmm. our quality of life. And Last year was a paradigm shift. People came out of the woodwork and I think are really starting to see the lake. And there was not just a paradigm shift at the legislature, but there was also a buildup over the last 15 or 20 years trying Mm -hmm. to work towards protecting the lake. So there was kind of this paradigm shift, but it also has this really great timing that has been on the coattails of the work of a lot of people and state agencies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've lived in Salt Lake for, I would call it a while, a a millennial while. And this past year is, I think the first time I've ever even talked about the lake. Like I remember moving here and being like, oh, there's this big lake. Can we swim in it? And friends of mine were like, no, 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 no. We don't really (laughs) go down there. (laughs) And now it's like those same people, like those of us that never even talked about the lake are like, I would die for the lake. Like it is my number one issue. Like we have candidates that are running for office in this city, in this county, and they're talking about the lake like it's their number one issue. It gives me goosebumps. I mean, it really does. It's like really cool to see so many new voices and so many new ideas. And some of the ideas are crazy and some of them... (laughs) You know, <laughs> have been around for a long time, and and it's cool to see it, right? Like it's cool to have these discussions too, because Great Salt Lake is a really hard issue that impacts millions of people, and 
it impacts people that don't even see the light. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things I want to talk to you specifically about today is brine shrimp, because I think a lot of us get sort of the bigger picture of the lake. Like we need to get more water into the lake. It's at really low levels. That's bad. I feel like that's sort of the the bare bones of, of my personal understanding. But there are all these like specific little pieces and specific ecosystems that kind of all come together to make it happen. And one of them is brine shrimp. I Googled brine shrimp because I was like, I want to get a really clear picture. And Google auto-populated, what is the purpose of brine shrimp? Awesome. <laughs> I was like, that is the question. <laughs> Can I just read you something? Yeah. This is a poem about brine shrimp that a sixth grade class from Emerson Elementary in Salt Lake City wrote this year. And okay. um, they had worked with brine shrimp and they actually went to the Utah State Legislature and they worked to get um, brine shrimp listed as the official Utah State crustacean. Mm-hmm. And um, this is the poem that they wrote after um, working with that. Brine shrimp matter to us. We care about them. We like how fast they swim. They may be small, but we need them so much. Brine shrimp matter. They are small, but do a lot for us. The impact they have is so big. Praise the way they feed so many amazing birds. Brine shrimp can only live in salt water, only in the south side of the lake, only in certain salinity. Their arms look like spaghetti. Praise their little black eyes sticking out of their heads. Praise them for providing hundreds of jobs from farming cysts. They swim like they are crawling through vast nothingness, like whales in the ocean, but brine shrimp in Great Salt Lake. We love their bright colors when we see them. We like the little wing things that they swim with. Praise the way their wings propel them through the water. It's cool and unique how they swim. Brine shrimp matter. Brine shrimp are beautiful creatures. They help our ecosystem and our economy. They matter because, one, they are very cute. Two, without them, the lake would even be more unhealthy than it is. Praise pink lines with wings swimming freely. Praise black, pure eyes staring into mine. If we did not have them, we would not be here today. Praise the way their eyes pop out of their tiny bodies. Praise the way you can see them so easily with their eyes. Brine shrimp matter to us because we live in the Great Salt Lake City School District. Praise the brine shrimp for giving us learning opportunities. They are the foundation of the whole lake. The mass of brine shrimp in Great Salt Lake adds up to the mass of 1.8 million people. Brine shrimp matter. Because they are keystone species, brine shrimp matter because we use the cysts to feed our fish. Brine shrimp matter because of everything that has happened in 2021 to 2022. Studying Great Salt Lake has brought us happiness in this hard time. Uh, Isn't that the best? That's the show. (laughs) Thanks for being here. (laughs) I don't even want to tell you in my words because those kids from Emerson Elementary, they raft it and they take so much time to learn about the lake. Yeah. One of the questions I have from listening to that poem is, what is a keystone species? Exactly. So a keystone species is a species that needs to exist for everything else to feed on it. So it's like one of the very main building blocks of the food web at the lake. There's brine shrimp that we're here talking about. 
Mm -hmm. And they swim in the water column and they clean algae out of the water. And they're very efficient grazers. Some of the folks call them like the cows of Great Salt Lake because they graze all of that down. Okay. And then there's um, brine fly larvae. Brine fly larvae attached to the bottom parts of Great Salt Lake on these reef-like structures that are called microbialites. Okay. And they feed on the microbial mats that cover these reefs. They feed on that. And they also use it to attach and make their cocoon. So they have this cocoon that's underwater and it pupates underwater for a while. And then mm. it pops out like a little rocket with a little air bubble attached to it. And the fly goes into the air around the lake. And okay, so they're feeding on the bottom. Brain shrimp are feeding in the water column. And different mm -hmm. birds feed on the shoreline versus, you know, in the middle of the salty Great Salt Lake. And so... Those two species, the brine flies and the brine shrimp, are really the foundation of the salty part of the ecosystem. Yeah, it's interesting to make the connection when you describe the hatchlings rising from the bottom of the lake. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fly fishing 101, right? It's oh, like, it, yeah. And studying Great Salt Lake is so cool because you see all of these like really amazing things that nobody else gets to see because not very many people go out to the lake. But yeah. in the late summer, you can like sit on the Antelope Island Causeway, which is a great place to like go birding. And you can mm -hmm. like watch the sunset over the water and you'll see those flies hitting the water or like escaping the water. And it totally turns Great Salt Lake into like this glittery place of beautiful mm. sunset red and colors and like the water just turns to glitter. It's really cool. So good. What are some of your favorite little like factoids about brine shrimp? So a female brine shrimp, they can either push out live young or the eggs that people harvest. So if it's a really great environment and it's like warm enough and sunny enough and there's enough food, um, they can have up to 300 live young or eggs in their brood sack at one time. So when you go to the lake this summer and you take your hands and you scoop brine shrimp up, you might see some that have like a little brown spot okay. at the base of their tail. And mm -hmm. those are female brine shrimp that have eggs or live young in their brood sack. Wait, 300 eggs or live young in their brood sack. Mm -hmm. But the average brine shrimp is what, a couple inches? It's like, I mean, yeah. Like yeah, an inch and a half? Very big. Yeah, like an inch and a half, an inch, something like that. And 300 of them. Wow. And, that's amazing. You know, we, we studied that. Like we would count how many were in brood sacks when hmm. we worked with the brine shrimp industry and when I worked with the state of Utah. So we count that to make sure, you know, we know if they're healthy or if that number is decreasing so there won't be as, no, as, much, as much in the water. Wow. And... um. Bright shrimp males are interesting because they have two penises. Okay. And I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I'm not sure we need more penises. <laughs> I, I don't on. really love your taste. But go on. But go on. <laughs> that is the best comment I've ever had. You're never going to forget that. <laughs> Um, I, you might wonder why, and I wonder why they have two penises all the time, and I don't know why. <laughs> okay. And so, like, I'm taking my, like, scientist hat off now because mm -hmm. I don't know the answer, but I have two hypotheses. Okay. 
it would be hard to keep up with 300 eggs in one brood sack. So maybe they need two to keep up with that. Hmm. I don't know. And the males have these claspers on the front of their body and the claspers hold on to the female. And then, you know, she can't get away in the currents because they're kind of just floating in currents. So Hmm. they might need two just to make sure. Yeah. Okay. Those are some really crazy facts about brine shrimp. Those are my favorite facts about them right now because I don't think enough people know that. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the economic impact of brine shrimp because I just feel like if there's one thing I've learned living in Utah and in Salt Lake, sometimes the economic conversation is how we get things done mm-hmm. in, in the legislature and in leadership. What is the economic impact of brine shrimp? Because my understanding is it's pretty lucrative for the state. Yeah, it's pretty lucrative. I would say there's different aspects to that. I think published things say um, 40 to $60 million to the economic integrate Salt Lake. Um, it's supplying 40 to 60% of the marine food that we eat, like marine fin fish and marine shrimp. So 40 to 60% of that is fed on Great Salt Lake brain shrimp. And that's a really important number because commercial aquaculture is supplying an increasing amount of food for human populations. I mean, Mm -hmm. we just can't take all of the fish out of the ocean. We have to produce some of that through aquaculture. Mm Mm-hmm. So brine shrimp are, you're saying they're harvested and they basically are turned into fish food? Yeah. What people are harvesting are the eggs of the brine shrimp. And the eggs of the brine shrimp are really, really teeny tiny. They look like sand. Okay. Each one of those little teeny tiny eggs, when you put them in seawater, they'll hatch into a little baby brine shrimp that's this little packet of like protein and fat and good yumminess Mm -hmm. that are fed to prawns and fish. And so the eggs are shipped around the world, they're hatched out, and the baby brine shrimp are fed to, to those fish Mm. or prawns. So how is the lowering level of the lake impacting brine shrimp? You know, when the lake goes in lower and lower, means there's less water in the lake, but the salt builds up because the salt Mm. has nowhere to go. And so the salt content of of Great Salt Lake is really important to brine shrimp and to what they Mm. eat. Increasing salt content, it's going to stress them out. It's going to make them reproduce less. There's changes at the ecosystem level. But also practically, the brine shrimp harvesters, the way they harvest brine shrimp is eggs float on the surface of the water and they congregate in currents and they look like oil streaks. Hmm. And funny enough, the people that harvest the eggs, they use oil containment boom just like they would um, scoop up oil spills to scoop up brine shrimp eggs. And okay, and then they dry them and send them around the world. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, this is kind of gets at, I think, a misnomer about the lake, which is it's salty, but it's not salt water. <laughs> it's a freshwater body that is super salty. It's not a saltwater lake, which was one of the reasons I think people were kind of confused by the legislature taking up a study to build a pipeline from the Pacific Ocean to the Great Salt Lake, because that would be saltwater coming into the lake, not freshwater. Why is the lake so salty? Exactly. And so it's a terminal basin. And so when you're scouring the riverbeds and stream beds, there's like little particles of salt that naturally are coming out. And 
if you were to measure the salt content in the freshwater streams and the freshwater wetlands around Great Salt Lake, you wouldn't find really a lot of salt in them. But mm -hmm. over millions of years that those streams have been scouring and bringing small amounts of minerals into the lake, it builds up over time. And so mm. right now, um, there's a discrepancy on how much salt comes into the lake. We just need to do more studies. But so there's lots of salt coming in. And the only way that it leaves is if we extract it. It doesn't mm -hmm. leave through evaporation. There's nowhere for it to go. Okay. Are there some solutions on the table yeah, that are interesting to you? I think the idea to pipeline water is an interesting and a crazy idea. And I think all of us that have been working on the lake, we welcome crazy ideas because mm. we've been working on the lake for a long time. Many people, not just myself, there's mm -hmm. like a whole community of folks that have been working on Great Salt Lake for decades that over the years have come up with lots of different solutions. Mm -hmm. We need to act on them. And mm -hmm. we can't go back in time and start this process 60 years ago or 100 years ago. We just have to go forward. And so crazy ideas like pipelining, sure, you know, study them, but make sure that the economics of it seem a little bit wacky as opposed to working on temporary, voluntary, local solutions. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean... We are in the middle of a drought that we haven't seen for 1,200 years before now. So we're in this mega drought. We're going to see climate change. And I mm. see an anger in groups and people that are coming in now that are maybe like new to the lake. And mm -hmm. I think that energy is really, really, really awesome. Mm -hmm. We need that. I but now is not the time to fight. Now is the time to really work together. Yeah. These are difficult conversations to have and we have to approach them thoughtfully. But I think that's reassuring to me to hear that from you, <laughs> that you have a little bit of optimism. There are lots of good things that we've done for Great Salt Lake. And I, by good things, I mean things that benefit both wildlife and humans. And the brine shrimp industry is one of them that we've worked together, the industry and the state of Utah's natural resources work together to create this industry that optimizes brine shrimp for both humans to mm -hmm. harvest and to have as part of our global food economy and also wildlife. So huh. eared grebes are the cutest little birds and they land on Great Salt Lake and they molt their feathers and start gorging on brine shrimp. They eat 22 to 30,000 brine shrimp every day. And they pick them out of the water one by one. And then when the brine shrimp start to die off, they take off. Other saline lakes around the world have, and around the West, have shrunk and no longer have the resources for these eared grebes. So they all come here now. And... Hmm. So we have this viable industry, we have more eared grebes. I find a lot of hope in that, that there's other solutions that will positively impact the lake. Mm -hmm. And there's 2 million people that live along the Wasatch Front. And I'll not shut up about the lake until I know that like my kids are gonna have a safe place to live. I'm gonna keep mm -hmm. talking about it. And I think everybody feels like that. And I am really like, glad for like all of the people that are out there cheering for the lake and 
wondering like, what do I do? What can I do? Yeah. Yeah. What can they do? What would you tell them? Everybody just needs to do everything that you can Hmm. and talk to people about the lake and discuss like these, you know, really important and sometimes hard questions about Mm -hmm. like the lake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I'd say write your legislator if you don't know, like we saw it this year. We saw legislators reacting to things. So not only did we have a lot of bills, the most of those bills passed unanimously. And yeah. so like legislators were listening to mm-hmm. their constituents. And even if you just say, hey, I really like Great Salt Lake, vote for smart water laws. If conserve water, like we need to change our water ethic and mm-hmm. we're going to have to pay more for water no matter what. So mm-hmm. it, whether it's in mitigating Great Salt Lake or whether it's in higher water bills. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think like you read that poem, like the cultural conversations are so important. I recently learned about the Great Saltaire and the fact that there were like 11 bathing clubs along the shore of the lake. And we used to like luxuriate in the lake and go there to swim. And that was sort of our like theme park. And there's this whole like cultural relationship with the lake before we started deciding it was stinky and boring. And Mm. I think we need to get back to that as well. I don't know, a little bit more love and compassion for the lake itself beyond just, I think, the fear that's been instilled in all of us, rightfully so, about things like toxic dust mm-hmm. and this being like truly an in- potential environmental catastrophe. And I would go back even further. I tend to like the way that like our Native folks talked about the lake. It was recognition that the lake smelled. And there was recognition that it was a seasonal place that you would go to collect salt or that you would hunt birds or that you would collect pickleweed or whatever it was. And so mm-hmm. I hope that we can get back to that recognition of the reality of the lake. And mm. I think we have expectations of lakes that are unrealistic when you put great salt in front of it that like <laughs> yeah it's not blue you don't have houseboats or lots of right. boardwalks it's not tahoe <laughs> it's not tahoe like go visit it and don't just like go one time go over different seasons and make a relationship with it do it visit it mm-hmm. yeah My last question for you really is a little personal because you co-founded the Great Salt Lake Institute at Westminster College. Listening to you talk about the lake and its inhabitants, I feel like it's kind of your life's work. How are you feeling? This is a really interesting time to be leaving the Institute. You know, Dr. Bonnie Baxter, myself, and other faculty at Westminster started it 13 years ago. And so I don't want to leave, but I just moved to my family farm that's in the Cache Valley near Mm -hmm. Logan. And it like is kind of my paradigm shift that I get to live on a farm and be connected to the world of agriculture and Cache Valley is really cool. So we got a new coordinator. She's super awesome. Her name is Carly Beadle and Mm, she's good name. She's going to take it in her own direction and she has a teaching degree and she's got an ecology degree and just it's such a good time for her to come and take over. It feels really comfortable to have a new brain and new perspective coming into Great Salt Lake Institute. I'm into it. Jamie, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
more Great Salt Lake news before we go. Scientists like Jamie predicted the lake would reach yet another historic low this fall. Jamie said maybe October. But according to recent reporting from Ben Winslow at Fox 13, it could be weeks, not months, before we see another historic drop. Of course, this is due to our unprecedented drought. In January, the Utah legislature approved the establishment of a $40 million trust fund to heal the lake. Last week, the Audubon Society and the Nature Conservancy were named co-managers of the fund, which means they get to direct quite a bit of spending and manage partnerships with farmers to secure water rights for the lake. And finally, storm drains. I know. It's amazing how the story of the lake is illuminating so much about how our city works. I guess you could call that a silver lining. Anyways, most of Salt Lake City's storm drains run into the Jordan River and ultimately the Great Salt Lake, which means keeping them clean of litter or debris means less clogging and more water running into the lake. Of course, more water into the lake. That's our talking point this year. For this reason, Salt Lake City is asking residents to adopt a storm drain and keep an eye on it. Want to rally some neighbors or friends around your own drain? I put the link in the show notes. Could be fun. I've always wanted my own storm drain. <laughs> That's our show today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.